While Ukraine and Russia is sucking up all the news oxygen, there's a lot going on elsewhere. Africa is really a new hotspot. Stay tuned. I'm Bert Cohen, and with your help, we are keeping democracy alive. What's going on? He's not breathing. Can you get a pulse? Barely. Call a code. Get Nambia back from the nurse's station. Heart's still working means synapses are still firing. We just need to get a message through. Prosperity for the few, the rights of U.S. corporations to extract from the land of Central America and exploit the people of Central America. There's a huge gap between public opinion and public policy. People don't feel that they can do very much. I speak tonight for the dignity of man. For well over a century, Africa was looked at as being there to serve the desires of the occupying superior colonial states. France, England, Germany, Portugal, Belgium. They all had a grand time in the infamous scramble for Africa. Borders were either arbitrarily drawn and imposed from above, often with the purpose of dividing indigenous nations so the white colonialists could more easily conquer Since the early 1960s, when Patrice Lumumba led the move for Congo independence and was then assassinated, the momentum for national identity has continued. Not without challenges. Today, the geostrategic concerns of major global players have overridden Western Sahara's long-denied right to even have a referendum on self-determination. If it is known at all, much of the world has uh, seen parallels between Moroccan control over the Western Sahara and the Palestinian struggle against overwhelming odds. In his newly revised paperback second edition, our guest co-author Stephen Zunis' new book is titled Western Sahara, War, Nationalism, and Conflict Irresolution. Interesting title. Now, it's so far away. And such a small and distant culture, why should we in North America pay any attention at all? Perhaps the struggle uh, fits a dynamic happening all over the 21st century world. Maybe that's why we should be interested in it. It's starting to catch the world's attention because, of course, it has something to do with ever more rare and ever more in-demand natural resources. Our guest puts forth this question. Indeed, the Biden administration's apparent belief that Western Sahara should be governed by a foreign, autocratic, right-wing monarchy instead of a relatively progressive and secular republic says a lot about its priorities. Hmm. Well, as the Who sang so long ago, meet the new boss, same as the old boss, in terms of foreign policy. I wonder. Stephen Zunis, thank you so much for being with us on Keeping Democracy Alive. Good with you, Bert. Stephen Zunis is Professor of Politics and International Studies at the University of San Francisco. He's the author of Tinderbox, U.S. Middle East Policy and the Roots of Terrorism, among other books, and has written scores of articles and books, chapters on Middle East and North African politics, U.S. foreign policy, and unarmed civil insurrections. Well, again, thanks for being with us. And perhaps the most recent bit of news regarding the area was the controversy around Donald Trump's recognition of the Western Sahara as part of Morocco. So first, please remind us why that was significant, and second, President Biden's position on this matter. Well, the the United States had been um, 
supporting Morocco's occupation while giving uh, lip service to the right of self-determination. Um, but uh, things shifted in December of uh, 2020 uh, when Donald Trump uh, declared that the United States would formally recognize uh, Morocco's uh, annexation of the former Spanish colony uh, that uh, Morocco invaded on the verge of independence in 1975. The, uh, uh, you mentioned correctly about the arbitrariness of colonial boundaries, but uh, in the case of Sahara, they really do have a distinct history, uh, dialect, and culture uh, from the uh, uh, Moroccans, despite a shared uh, Arab and, and, and Muslim identity. Um, there's, uh, this is quite shocking because uh, the United States uh, is the only major country to have ever uh, you know, recognized this uh, takeover. And it's a very dangerous precedent. I mean, the uh, Sahrawi Arab Democratic Republic, which is the official name of Western Sahara, uh, you know, they declared their, their independence uh, way back in 1976. They've been recognized at one time or another by no less than eight four countries. They're a full member of the uh, African Union. Uh, and uh, that goes only... The French and American veto that prevented joining the United Nations. Uh, but what, what uh, Trump um, did essentially was to recognize the takeover of one recognized African state by another, mm. uh, which is uh, obviously concerning for the uh, African, but also for for the world order. Because, you know, it's, 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 there are only very very few examples when any country has. Uh, recognized territory seized by force. Indeed, as the Biden administration has been stressing uh, vis-a-vis the crisis of Ukraine, uh, that uh, international borders cannot be uh, unilaterally altered. Countries cannot uh, uh, expand their territory by force. But this is just what the Trump administration did, and it's a recognition of, of Morocco. Now, when Biden came to office, many people expected he would reverse it. After all, there was bipartisan objection in Congress, a lot of State Department veterans were, were vehemently opposed, as were many of uh, America's allies. But while the administration has not explicitly reaffirmed uh, this recognition, uh, they've done nothing to reverse it. And so when Secretary of State Blinken and others have been asked about directly by reporters, they, they, they prevaricated. Um, but if you look at, uh, I mean, and, and, but you, you can see the impact of the policy. I mean, uh, for example, if if you look at uh, maps, you know, from, you know, the United Nations, from National Geographic, Rand McNally, Google, or whatever, um, you know, there's a, you know, there's a, a clear uh, um, you know, Western separate country. And most, you know, marked by hash marks or something showing that, apart, that uh, you know, most of it's been occupied. But government maps, State Department, CIA, NASA, you know, whatever, uh, they show it as only one country. Indeed, the U.S. Embassy. In, in Rabat, uh, the U.S.M. State in Morocco treats Western Sahara as, as part of the country. Uh, State Department report used to have enter Western Sahara as a certain nation. You now have it under under Morocco. So, yeah, this is a very very dangerous precedent. First time really since the signing of, of the United Nations Charter that the U.S. has gone to 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 this uh, this extreme and mm-hmm. going against the long-standing post World War II uh, principle about, uh, you know, countries not just uh, going and taking over other countries like that. It, it is odd. And, you know, just, just to get a little perspective on it, there's a lot of perspective needed, but this area, the Western Sahara, is, my understanding is, it's a big desert, and there's, what, between a quarter million and a half million people there. 
What is Morocco's motivation and intent, and why why are they doing this? Well, the, the initial uh, uh, invasion back in 1975, you know, just as Spain was finally uh, withdrawing from the territory, having been faced with a mounting guerrilla war by the Polisario Front, fighting for independence, as well as international pressure, it may have been more for nationalist reasons. Um, the autocratic monarch, uh, King Hassan II, uh, had been subjected to two uh, serious coup attempts. I mean, he barely escaped. And so, you know, many people, you know, there have been a series of, 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 of military coups by left-leaning nationalist officers against Arab monarchies in the previous years, in yes. Egypt, Iraq, Libya, and many people assumed that uh, Morocco was next on the list. And by um, conquering Western Sahara, claiming... Um, that it was somehow you know, part of Morocco historically, which it wasn't, but that was the, that was the, uh, the claim. Um, and, um, and, you know, trying to portray it as this uh, great anti-colonial uh, movement to liberate Moroccan territory, he kind of played the nationalist card. And he got a lot of Moroccans, including, you know, uh, uh, some of the, his left-leaning critics on his side. It also got the um, Moroccan army as far away from Rabat as possible, which may have been part of the idea as well. Uh, and, and it helped. It really did uh, enhance his his standing uh, uh, as as the defender of the supposed uh, national cause. Um, more recently, I, I think you know the, the economic benefits are becoming more and more apparent. Uh, uh, Western Sahara is the uh, uh, is a major uh, producer of phosphates, which are critically important in terms of the world's agriculture. I mean, they're a basic component of fertilizer. All the, the uh, the, the, the coast there it has some of the richest fishing grounds in the world. And there are more than a few um, uh, Moroccan officials, including generals overseeing the occupation, that, that have their hands in the tiller of these uh, lucrative uh, exports. Yeah, there's that economic side uh, of it uh, as well. There, there always seems to be, my goodness. And we remember the uh, Arab Spring of, what was that, 2011, and the focus was largely, it started in Tunisia, I believe. But, but was concern, it sounds like, if I'm hearing you right, what you're saying is that Morocco was concerned about something like that happening there in the Western Sahara, and they wanted to keep the power and the access to the money. Is that, is that accurate? Yeah, yes, 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 yes certainly. Um, the, you know, what, what was interesting about Western was that uh, many people would argue that that's where the Arab actually began because um, a full three months before the uh, first uprising in Indonesia in December of, of 2010, tens of thousands of Sahrawis, always Western Saharans, built this uh, big tent city just outside Al-Yun, you know, the capital, uh, demanding uh, greater rights, uh, including the right of self-determination. Uh, but after just a couple of weeks, the uh, Moroccan o occupation forces came in and, and, and violently uh, broke it up. Uh, there were quite a number of casualties. Um, but you know, as part of an, an ongoing uh, nonviolent resistance campaign, uh, the occupation. Uh, interestingly, uh, the most prominent leader of that is a woman named Aminatou Haidar, uh, who um, you know, recently won the Right Livelihood Award. Um, as well as the Robert F. Kennedy Human Rights Award, the Russell Train Civil Courage Award, some you know, European agencies have, have uh, recognized her as well. She's been, multiple, she's been nominated multiple times for the uh, Nobel Peace Prize. 
uh, but you know, this idea of a, of a, of an Arab Muslim woman uh, leading a nationalist movement through nonviolent action doesn't quite fit in the Western paradigm. <laughs> we look at that part of the world, um, but um, but after after you know, um, you know the Palestinians uh, who start turned their guns on Morocco. They they first in, in, invaded in 1975, agreed to a ceasefire in 1990, and returned for you know, Revised referendum. UN peacekeeping force was brought in to, to do so, but the Moroccans refused to go through with their part of the deal. They refused to allow the referendum to take place. Uh, the repression increased. Uh, they kept violating the ceasefire. So in December, uh, sorry, November of 2020, the Paul resumed the armed struggle. So you have both um, uh, an armed struggle going on in the rural areas where the Moroccans have been shipped. Uh, constructed this huge separation wall, uh -huh. and also in the urban Moroccan-occupied uh, areas as well. And the human rights situation, I should mention, is is horrific. Um, if you look at Human Rights Watch, uh, Amnesty International, other groups, I mean, it's, it's, they're pretty devastating. And in fact, the free, in fact, Freedom House, and looking at 210 countries around the world, declared that Morocco's occupation of Western Sahara, in terms of political rights, was the worst in the world, say for Syria. <laughs> you know, and so, and indeed, I, my, my visiting there, I mean, I've been to uh, 85 countries, including oh. uh, uh, Iraq under Saddam and uh, Indonesia under Sahara. I've never seen a police state in Western Sahara. Really? No, oh, I, and there does seem to be, you know, in the big uh, geopolitical picture, there's a, this uh, power struggle between uh, the royals in Saudi Arabia and Iran. What you're saying here, you're suggesting, and I, I'm just curious: Are they, is the Moroccan uh, government uh, close to uh, the uh, uh, repressive regime in Saudi Arabia? Oh yes, uh, the Saudis help fund the construction of the wall. They help fund the. Uh, uh, there's uh, uh, quite a uh, monarchical <laughs> solidarity uh, going on there. Uh, they've traditionally been a conservative, pro-Western power. That's why uh, the United States has. Uh -huh. um, been supporting Morocco all these years, initially as an ally in the Cold War, uh, uh, subsequently in the uh, so-called um, War on Terror. Yeah, but the irony here is that you know the United States says, we want more democracy in, in the uh, Arab and Islamic world. We want more rights for women in the Arab Islamic uh, world. But you know, the, the, you know, the Western Saharans, I mean, they are, the, the Palestinian Front is a, a relatively a pluralistic, secular, nationalist, Slightly left-leaning uh, movement, um, where and in, 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 in Saudi culture and uh, you know women have traditionally had a lot more rights than in Morocco, but equal rights to inheritance and divorce, for example, and women keep their maiden names. Um, but uh, you know it, this this would supposedly be the kind of uh, a movement the U.S. would want to to support, uh, but instead we've been supporting this repressive right-wing, has been determined to deny. Uh, the establishment of of, uh, of 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 a Western Saharan state again, on paper, there already is one, as I mentioned, but uh, uh, they uh, but but in terms of their actual um, uh, control, they only only control barely twenty percent of the territory, and that's mostly in the rural desert um, eastern part of the state. That's the Polisario that controls it, or Morocco? Yes, yes, Polisario. Mm -hmm. And uh, let, let so, uh, Polisario control. But, but the Morocco controls most of it, including the phosphate uh -huh. mines and the uh, major cities. Phosphate mines. Uh -huh. And I vaguely remember hearing about the Polisario 
quite a few years ago. Who, who are they? Are they the leading force for independence of Western Sahara? And where do they stand relative to the westernized picture of Islamic terrorists? Well, they certainly don't have anything to do um, with terrorism. In fact, they, it's remarkable in the uh, many years of armed struggle, both the initial phase um, uh, in the uh, 70s and the 80s, and as well as the, uh, more recently, they have never deliberately uh, targeted uh, civilians. Um, indeed, they are, are explicitly secular in their orientation, and as, as I know, they practice a pretty you know, liberal uh, form of um, of Islam. Now, that hasn't stopped uh, Morocco and some of its supporters in Washington from making all sorts of outrageous claims. I mean, you know, they, they, you know, they, they say uh, you know, simultaneously, um, Morocco, they, they claim the Paul Sario is, is, is um, allied with al-Qaeda, with ISIS, uh, with Iran, with Allah, with Gaddafi, uh, with uh, communist Cuba. Uh, you know, I mean, you got they throw everything they can at them, but uh, they're, they're independent, uh, you know, nationalist, you know, slightly left-leaning, but, but you know, not 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 Marxist uh, movement. Um, their biggest supporter actually is Algeria, and Morocco and Algeria have um, been involved in a geopolitical tussle for 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 decades. Indeed, Morocco invaded eastern Algeria just after the uh, the, the uh, Algerians defeated the French in, in the revolution in the so-called Sand War, nineteen three. The Moroccans really pushed out, but um, the um, you know there, there's a lot of hostility between the two countries. Now Morocco has gone as far as saying, "Oh, the the the, the uh, um, uh, is simply a puppet of uh, Algeria, and that those support of self-determination are are paid Algerian agents and all this kind of stuff." But uh, well, the Polisario you know, is certainly dependent on the Algerians, you know, for financial and military and diplomatic support and Algeria has, has allowed over 150,000 Sahrawi refugees mm. to live in Algeria, allow the Polisario um, effective autonomy in terms of administering them. Uh, you know, the, 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 the resistance of movement is very much indigenous. In fact, if you go back to the early 70s, Algeria originally uh, supported a rival liberation movement that then mm. exists. Um, but um, you know the, uh, this, this, this idea that as 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 um, Morocco supporters and, and some strategic analysts say it's just a power vacuum and a geopolitical struggle between these regional rivals ignores that it is first and foremost a, um, a struggle uh, for self determination by by an oppressed people. Yeah, interesting. We <laughs> I grew up in the fifties, and I always assumed that what I was taught was true that the U.S. would support uh, people, indigenous people, uprising against their colonial masters. Ha! (laughs) I was proved wrong. And for those who may have just tuned in, Bert Cohen here, the show is Keeping Democracy Alive. And our guest today is Stephen Zunis, who's uh, got a uh, second edition paperback book now, Western Sahara, War, Nationalism, and Conflict Irresolution. And you talk about a referendum. I mean, what could be uh, more in keeping with uh, desiring peace and allowing you know people to to have a say than a referendum? And I recall, well, a referendum was promised to the Western Saharans back in 1991 in return for a ceasefire, and that reminds me of another messy colonial war. Uh, after winning independence, developing a ceasefire. Being independent from France in 1954, 
the liberation forces of Vietnam agreed, as part of the ceasefire, to a referendum promised for 1956. Well, it never happened. So what, what made the Polisario resume the struggle in 2020? Well, basically, uh, it was it was the fact that the referendum was not going forward, and uh, and you know, it, it, largely because the Moroccans insisted on on uh, stacking the voter rolls with the Moroccan settlers. In fact, Moroccan settlers now outnumber the population three to one, and you know, just like the Israeli settlements in the West Bank, you know, it's illegal to uh, um, you know colonize territory seized by military force uh, with your civilian population. Um, but uh, you know the the the, uh, what the Moroccans had done instead, you know, knowing that they would lose <laughs> a, a fair referendum if it was only the uh, indigenous population involved. You know, they proposed a so-called autonomy plan, um, which is pretty pretty kind of vague, and and given the human situation, it, it's it's uh, uh, you know highly questionable whether they would uh, you know, how much. True uh, autonomy, uh, the, the Sahrawis would be, be able to, um, to to exercise. Okay. Uh, but this, but the, the main problem with the autonomy plan, which has been endorsed by the United States uh, and, and pushed by the United States, the UN, and elsewhere, is that it, it precludes the option of independence. And according to international law, if you are a non-self-governing territory, that is a colony, like uh, Western Sahara. You, you you have the right to choose independence. You may not. I mean, you know, right Puerto, Rico is yeah. non, Puerto Rico is a non-self-governing territory, but thus far they've, they've chosen to be part of the United States. Uh, but, and indeed, you know, you know, the Western Saharans could vote in the same part of Morocco. I, I don't care how they go. <laughs> it's not my country. Right. But, uh, you know, they, they, they need to have that option. And the Moroccan-American... Uh, proposal for autonomy does not give them that option, and if the international community adopts this proposal as the as, as Washington has been pushing, um, it would be the first since the signing of, of, of the UN Charter that a non self governing um, territory has been denied that right of self determination, uh, which obviously is a very dangerous precedent, and it would also be the first time a country expanding its borders by force had been you know, recognized by the international community. And again, so far, the U.S. is about the only country that's done so um, uh, formally. But that is, and this is why I keep pressing, why I think listeners should, should, should be concerned about this, is, yeah. is we're not just talking about one fairly small country. We're talking about a, a bedrock international legal principle. That We're talking about the whole World War II international legal I mean, remember, we fought the Gulf War <laughs> on the grounds that, uh, that that countries cannot just go and take over. In fact, it's a remarkably similar situation. And when you think about it, here we have an autocratic Arab state with historical claims on its more um, resource-rich southern neighbor, and they uh, end up invading it and annexing it. And of course, uh, the U.S. said, "Oh, this is this is can't be done," and uh, for the for the for the sake of the world order, we need to close this devastating war. But you know, here we are, uh, 30 years later, and the U.S. said, "Oh, not really. You know, if, if the country's in, uh, that's the in, uh, occupying country is a U.S. ally, yeah, they can get with it, no problem." <laughs> Absolutely amazing. The hypocrisy is just 
throughout history, hypocrisy is amazing. And you talk about the right of self-determination. As longtime listeners know, I'm obsessed with the First World War. Every U.S. president has provided varying degrees in military and diplomatic support for Moroccan occupation, as you say, while at least prior to Trump, all the presidents have supported the right of self-determination for the people of Western Sahara. And what brings up World War I is American President Woodrow Wilson promised self-determination. But as it turns out, that principle, that phrase, self-determination, only applied to the winners. They, the people who lost the war didn't get anything like self-determination. Say more about this ongoing contradiction, please. Well, this is this is uh, quite quite important, I think, in the sense that um, we're um, out of sync with the rest of the international community, even France, you know, which has been a big supporter of Morocco, huh. has not gone as far as as, as supporting this uh, formally supporting this takeover. And here we are mobilizing, you know, troops and right. to Poland and and doing all this kind of thing, uh, you know, because uh, uh, Russia is threatening to to do this. But it, it, I mean. The failure of, of Biden sorry, to reverse Trump's uh, um, you know, declaration, I mean, that is, again, the, 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 the flagrant hypocrisy yeah. really hurts U.S. credibility and standing up for um, aggression or potential aggression or, or, or any other, other despot. Um, it, you know, it just becomes kind of you know, a geopolitical balancing act instead of one And I, 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 I've been arguing for, 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 for decades. America's greatest strength is not our military prowess, right. you know, but it's our strength, and we, we 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 lose that, we forfeit that if we're going around, you know, saying, well, since this country is a U.S. ally, they can invade, they can occupy, they can annex, they can oppress, and do 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 all these things, and um, we'll only raise these terms if it's done by a government we don't like. <laughs> it's funny, but it's it. A lot of people die in the process, and. Yeah, you talk about the real strength of America. It's obviously not the military because, you know, we've applied our military over and over and over again. And oops, we keep on not winning. Um, And a lot of people, including myself, had hoped that with the incredible embarrassment of having Trump as president, that our reputation in the world would be actively being restored that, that the new administration, the Biden administration, would look at everything and recognize what a um, screw-up, shall we say, that, that Trump was and make it better. But you write, Biden's support for the Moroccan occupation is even more controversial than his support for the Israeli occupation. End of your quote. And there's been significant pushback by members of Congress on the left and right. And I think that's that's interesting. Tell us about that, please. Oh, that's quite fascinating. I mean, if you look at the the, the for example, the the two uh, U.S. senators that have been spoken in opposition to um, Trump and Biden's uh, recognition of the, uh, the annexation, it's been uh, Patrick Leahy of Vermont, who's one of the most uh, liberal senators, yes. and James Anhoff, <laughs> a conservative Republican uh, from Oklahoma. Wow, and um, and then also a lot of of, 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 of leading State Department uh, 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 
roles. Uh, uh, most, uh, most prominently, former Secretary of State James Baker, who uh, for nearly a decade was the UN Secretary General's uh, special envoy on Western Sahara. You know, he's been very, very out, outspoken. Um, even John Bolton has come out against the uh, station. You know, so you have this group, John Bolton. Oh, well, um, sure. So you have oh. these, uh, so you see from the conservatives speaking out, but you also have a you know, fair number of liberals, particularly members of the Black Caucus, and others who have concerns about um, Africa. Uh, and you know, we don't have much of a, of a solidarity movement here in the United States, but in, in, in Europe, it's, uh-huh. it's, it's, a, it's a big deal. I mean, it's comparable to you know, Central America activism back in the 1980s here in the U.S. Uh, you, you have, and, and Spain, the former colonial power, is kind of the cause celeb among uh, artists and uh, actors and and, and, and musicians and others. Javier Bardem has actually uh, put together an excellent documentary on Western Sahara. Oh, what's uh, and, and there's also a, a, a there's also a BDS movement there there that uh, that is targeting uh-huh. you know, not Morocco per se, but the occupation, uh, especially you know companies that are exploit illegally exploiting uh, the fisheries and the, the phosphate uh, uh, mines and, and, and others. So you know it is uh, it, it is it, uh, yeah something that a lot of folks are involved in other parts of the world, uh, but it, for some reason it's been largely off the radar yeah. here in the States. Yeah, off the radar. It, it, it's amazing how effective, uh, you know, one thing that has been learned by the powers that be is uh, keeping things off the radar, putting the focus where you want it to be. Big distractions and all kinds of other stuff can be going on in the meantime without people looking at it. And we're talking about Western Sahara on Keeping Democracy Alive. Bert Cohen here. Our guest is uh, Stephen Zunis. New, uh, newly revised uh, second edition paperback is uh, Western Sahara, War, Nationalism, and Conflict Irresolution. It's, it is amazing, the, the hypocrisy about, you know, like who's on our side and who's not. Different rules apply whether you're on our side or not. And you say, <clears throat> excuse me, Biden's opposition to longstanding international legal principles is not new. I've kind of liked Biden for a lot of things. It, it seems, again, sort of like in terms of foreign policy, meet the new boss, same as the old boss. So uh, say more about that, his opposition yeah, to, yeah. to longstanding legal principles being traditional for Joe Biden. Yeah, I mean, he's been surprisingly progressive in his domestic agenda uh, since he came to, to office. Uh, but uh, on foreign policy, uh, he, he's, he's definitely maintained his, his, his reputation of being a, you know, part of the more you know, um, hawkish, if you will, uh, wing of the uh, uh, Democratic Party. Um, as head of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, uh, he was supporter of the invasion of Iraq. In fact, he... he only allowed for a day and a half worth of hearings on this and most important uh, mm. foreign policy and and stack the, uh, the, um, the the witness list with the proponents of the invasion. Uh, they, they, he didn't allow a single person to question the claim about Iraqi weapons of mass destruction or mm. or anything like that. And uh, mm. in fact, even even after the inspectors returned, I didn't weren't finding anything. He still supported the decision to invade, even if he didn't find anything. He still supported the decision to invade. Um, uh, but uh, he came out against the war, of course, only after uh, right. public opinion shifted. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> funny thing about it. that. He's also been a, he, yeah, 
he's also been a big supporter of, of the Israeli occupation. He's refused to reverse Trump's uh, recognition of Israel's illegal annexation of the uh, Golan region of, of Syria. He's uh, maintained the recognition of Jerusalem as solely the Israeli capital and mm-hmm. the only country to keep the embassy there. He's refused to reopen the Palestinian consulate and, and occupy it. And I mean, we you go go on on, and of course he's been a big supporter of, of Saudi Arabia, despite promises otherwise mm. in their genocidal war in Yemen. He supported the, the Mubarak, uh, sorry, the Sisi regime uh, in Egypt. Um, you know, uh, millions of dollars to you know prop up these dictatorial regimes. And and you know, the thing the thing about Biden, of course, is that uh, so many of us are are so terrified about the. Um, Republicans, you know, regaining uh, regaining Congress, the House and Senate this November. About Trump or whoever making a comeback uh, in um, yeah. 2024. That I think there's a lot of reticence um, for people to criticize Biden, um, and or, or and it's even hard to even accept that he's taking these kind of essentially Republican positions that are well to the right um, of. Um, uh, of the views of, of most of most Americans, that he'd be willing to attack you know, Amnesty International, the International Court of Justice, uh, the International Criminal Court, uh, various UN agencies, you know, because they're, um, you know, question the prerogatives of the uh, United States and certain allies when it comes to international humanitarian law. And, you know, the, and I'm not, I, I don't want to, <laughs> I'm not advocating this kind of far left, oh, oh they're, all, they're all the same, you know, whatever. Right, I mean, right. We, we, you know, we're, we're, under, we're under a threat from a very dangerous authoritarian right-wing movement in yes. this country. Um, there, there is a big difference. But at the same time, I, I, I think it's important that we not remain silent when Biden uh, does embrace uh, these, uh, uh, embrace a foreign policy that is so militaristic, uh, that, is, that, is so, uh, that is in disregard to uh, international humanitarian law and, and, and international law in general. Yeah, it's it is disappointing, I, I must say. But one thing that it's always something unexpected. I, I'm seeing more as as uh, Trump and the uh, RNC continue to focus on January sixth. I'm seeing more and more of a split within the Republican Party, formerly Grand Old Party, and there is more and more Republicans coming out against military. Imperialism. They're starting to show their faces. I mean, Rand Paul, I disagree with him on everything else, but he's one of the few who is standing up uh, against a more military adventurism. So, I'm, I mean, the Democrats, you're right. We're not going to, we want Trump to stay in power, but hey, we get to criticize him on, him on foreign policy. It's not the first time there's been uh, somebody who's liberal domestically, but hawkish uh, on foreign policy and yeah. you know we have a response yeah, we, uh, some are still enough to remember LBJ <laughs> uh, true true I mean I, I do believe that uh, uh, he would be remembered as a great president if not for his foreign policy because his domestic policy was actually pretty darn yeah. good I mean it really was huh. so back to western Sahara what what is what's the format? It there's it's a region, it's a country that's recognized by over eighty countries. What is the formal name of Western Sahara? It's the Sahrawi Arab Democratic Republic. Sahrawi so, comes from the word Sahara. Uh huh. S a h r a w a, 
the Sahrawi Arab Democratic Republic, but Western Sahara is the, the, the common name. Uh-huh. Uh, probably, uh, under the colonial era, it was known as Spanish Sahara. Spanish Sahara? Yeah, it's, yeah, 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 that was the, the name and it's interesting. I wish I still had the globe I had when I was a little kid. Uh, the way Africa was divided up, it was amazing. French West Africa, German this, British that. Unbelievable. So it's still a, a struggle. And of course, the former president uh, called it the entire continent a blank hole, which is, you know, that's only going to serve to organize people there against against us. And what about, there was something called the Houston Accords, 1997 Houston Accords. What was that? Yeah, that was something that uh, um, a former U.S. Secretary of State and, and, and then U.N. Special Envoy uh, James um, uh, hammered together uh, that, uh, you, know, you know, put in the process for the referendum, but like previous uh, agreements, the, uh, um, um, you know, the, the Moroccans refused to uh, go through with it, and the Clinton administration, you know, like previous administrations, uh, you know, blocked United Nations from enforcing it. Um, there are several other uh, uh, Baker plans that, that went forward. One that would even uh, uh, um, allow, after a period of genuine autonomy, un- un- under um, an elected Sahrawi government, which would presumably be the Polisario, that they would uh, then have a referendum in which um, uh, Moroccan settlers, along with the uh, Sahrawis living in the territory and repatriated refugees, uh, would be able to vote. But even with that built-in advantage, because even if you include the returned refugees, the the, the settler Moroccan settlers still outnumber them. The Moroccans were still afraid they would lose it, um, in, in in part because uh, you know a, a fair number of the settlers are from far southern Morocco, where they're ethnically Sahrawi, even though. Uh, that that part is legally a, a, a part of um, uh, of Morocco, and and also given the unpopularity of the Moroccan government itself, and the fact that the Polisarios generally um, had good governance, um, and and uh, with the uh, 150,000 um, uh, Sahrawis that are under areas of, of their control, uh, that uh, they would uh, that you know, nevertheless um, lose. And when uh, and, and and when Morocco rejected that, uh, Baker, you know, went to the Bush administration and said, oh, "Look, you know, these guys clearly aren't willing to play. We need we need to crack the whip. We need to we mm. need to uh, allow the United Nations to 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 order them to 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 do this." Uh, but uh, you know, Bush refused. In fact, not only did he refuse, he rewarded Morocco uh, by pushing through a agreement with them and then naming Morocco a major non-NATO ally. Uh, which is a, a status that's usually reserved only the closest U.S. allies like Japan and Israel. Uh-huh. Um, so the um, and of course I should also just throw in the fact the United States has been arming Morocco uh, throughout this time. In fact, uh, hmm. uh, recently the U.S. pushed through these uh, k- uh, killer drones, uh, which have attacked uh, civilian uh, targets in the uh, liberated zones. Uh, and um, and so you know it, it's just been. Um, Profoundly disappointing because you know you know the yeah. we, we, we 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 say oh we, we can't you know support put into the Moroccan occupation because some Palestinian groups have engaged in terrorism and Hamas refuses to recognize Israel or whatever but you know the Palestinians they've never engaged in terrorism they've never was a right to exist they've always gone through diplomatic channels you know they they had a ceasefire in place for like twenty years despite repeated Moroccan violations I mean they're they're they're, they're 
seemingly doing everything right, and yet the, the U.S. says no. You know, you, 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 you still can't have the right of self-determination, and we're going to arm and support uh, this autocratic government that's uh, occupying your, your and and oppressing you. Well, clearly, if you let them have their independence, oh boy, you know, it's been the case for empires all along. You can't let any of them break away, or the others might get the message. You, you mentioned how Algeria... Uh, which had an amazing uh, war against uh, France, and uh, pretty heroic, I must say. But what about, if I have my geography right, in that general area, what used to be French West Africa, is uh, Mali and Niger, and they're having some uh, political troubles as well. Where do they fit in with this uh, struggle between the Polisario and Morocco? Uh, not not directly, and though interestingly, um, Morocco's friends in Washington have made the argument that well, since there, you know, there's there Al Qaeda and ISIS cells operating in some of those areas, that they will somehow infiltrate the uh, Polisario refugee camp, turn them into terrorists, and that's why we have to support Morocco. <laughs> um, but you know, this, this, the irony, of course, is Algeria has been ruthless. It's a um, crackdown against uh, Salafists extremists and and uh, the, the the Sahrawi refugee camp are in these uh, closed military areas in western Algeria so it would be virtually impossible uh, for extremists to to even 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 penetrate them in the first place and uh, as I noted uh, the um, Sahrawi's uh, uh, cultural proclivity towards a, a much more uh, liberal and and um, and, and, oh, and pluralistic uh, interpretation of Islam we would not make it fertile ground anyway uh, but um, you know, it's those who want to try to, uh, you know, the, the, you know the, the, the conflicts in those areas are ways that Morocco's supporters are trying to uh, make this a, a security question rather than, you know, one of international law and the right of self-determination. And, and I wonder, you know, the, the Palestinians have all kinds of organizations, supportive organizations here in the United States that, that helped them along and are, are pretty uh, important to the, uh, the the struggle there. I don't. I ser- I haven't heard of any Polisario or, or anything relative to the Moroccan situation. Uh, is there any kind of uh, U.S. presence on this issue at all? Well, there is a small group uh, headquartered in Washington called uh, called the U.S. Committee to End the Moroccan Occupation of West Sahara. Um, as one half-time staff member, and uh, uh, though an active board uh, that, that includes some uh, veteran activists and scholars and, uh, and 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 the like, there's not so much going on. I've actually encouraged um, you know uh, pro-Palestinian activists to address uh, this question of Western Sahara because you know one of the criticisms uh, that uh, pro-Palestinian uh, activists is that oh you're unfairly singling out Israel, and even when you have some of the churches and more mainstream peace groups, you know, uh, support, um, you know, divesting from these that sure. are directly supporting the occupation and settlements or, or, or are taking some stand against the Israeli occupation. They're all, oh, you're singling out the world's only Jewish state. Well, yeah, it wouldn't be, wouldn't be too much more dif- uh, difficulty in passing this resolution saying we'll, we'll also, we, we will, we want to divest from, from uh, any companies that are supporting uh, any, um, uh, you know, occupation of a, deny the right of self-determination. Now, in terms of, of, of international law, uh, in terms of recognition, that only is Western Sahara. 
and the Israeli occupied territories. And one can argue that morally the Tibetans or the uh, you know, Chechens or West, or West Papuans or others, you know, have the right of self-determination as well, that they are effectively living under occupation. But at least in terms, legally speaking, in terms of the UN, the international community, Western Sahara and Palestine are the uh, only ones. And so um, it wouldn't be like adding a big laundry list. Yeah. And so it would not only, you know, not only help the Sahrawis who like the Palestinians have the right of self-determination, but I think it would actually strengthen the pro-Palestinian movement because instead of getting in divisive arguments about the nature of Zionism, whatever, we could say, hey, this is about national law, this is about self-determination, this is about human rights, and that's, and that's, a, that's, a, that's a principle, you know, where the occupier is, 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 uh, is Israeli or Arab or Muslim or, or, or whatever. Interesting point. Yeah, that certainly would uh, help. It sounds, makes a lot of sense to me to help the uh, legitimacy of uh, support uh, Palestinian groups. And Africa is a huge continent. It's it's tremendously varied, of course. What is the status of Western Sahara in the African Union? How Tell us about their political and even military strength. Well, as far as Africa is concerned, um, uh, Western Sahara is the last colony. And, uh, and the, the Sahrawi Aristocratic Republic, as I mentioned, is a full member state. It actually held the position of vice president of the, uh, uh, of the, uh, what was then the Organization of African Unity, and uh, uh, more recently, uh, known as the African uh, Union. And then service states, uh, especially those that are uh, dependent on French financial assistance, you know, that tend to, uh, be pro-Morocco. The majority of African states really do see it as a um, self-determination issue. Morocco actually quit the OECD uh, back in 1981 when uh, uh, Western Sahara was admitted as a member. Uh, plus, swore they'd never come back as long as Western Sahara was, but they did rejoin uh, just a few years ago. Uh, but uh, you know that uh, it, it's um, it's really it's really divided um, um, uh, Africa. Um, like Algeria and South Africa have been the, the biggest uh, biggest supporters diplomatically. But again, this rupture between Algeria and Morocco is huge. I mean, other than North Korea, it's like the only totally closed border in the world. Uh, that, you know, you can't you can't cross, you have to go by plane or ship. You can't uh, you can't uh, drive or walk across. Uh, and and it, it's a really dicey uh, situation there. It's made it very difficult for the um, Arab Maghreb Union, which originally was. Hope to be a kind of counterpart to the European Union from moving forward. Right. Uh, it's, it's been a, it's been a real, a real, it's been a major issue, and so a lot of people do see uh, the United States and France and and, our, and and the support for the Moroccan occupation as as a kind of divide and rule. You know that that has uh, exacerbated the uh, divisions in Africa you know, at, at a time when, when unity is so important. And Africa is becoming more and more important. I mean, China has a big presence there in its Belt and Road Initiative. A lot of natural resources there. And uh, I, when uh, Trump dismissed them, uh, it was kind of a dumb move, in my opinion. Imagine Trump doing something dumb. Hard to believe, I know. But uh, what, what does the U.S., what's the American interest, aside from, you know, maybe just holding it up as an example of, oh, we can't allow, you know, uh, self-determination. We have to support our military allies come hell or high water. Uh, we, we just have to do that because we can't let others do it. Or 
what what are the other motivations? I mean, what are the uh, uh, like? I wonder what if what natural resources are in the Western Sahara, which are in global short supply, but are there? Talk about the U.S. interest. Part of it, I, I think, is just the long-standing tradition of um, you know, supporting these autocratic allies, uh, even if they went roughshod over basic human rights and international legal norms, and that's been going on for, for decades. I mean, the U.S. supported Indonesia's invasion of occupation of East Timor and the verge of that country's independence from Portugal. Very similar situation. In fact, it happened just six weeks after the uh, uh, Moroccan invasion. I remember Daniel Patrick Moynihan, or then... UN ambassador bragging about how he had uh, blocked the uh, how how you know he had voted like every other country and and uh, uh, opposing these invasions and calling for self determination and withdrawal of foreign forces, but he ensured that these resolutions would not be enforced uh, because uh, uh-huh. Indonesia and Morocco were, were good allies. The more immediate thing, however, is the fact that Trump's recognition of Morocco's illegal annexation took place simultaneously with the Kingdom of Morocco recognizing Israel formally. Um, Morocco, and quietly, uh, uh, you know, uh, working with Israel and, and meeting with them diplomatically going back uh, for decades, but um, this was the first time they had formally um, uh, recognized uh, Israel. And so it's part of the so-called Abraham Accords. And I think there might be some concern about by Biden is that if he rescinded the, uh, the U.S. recognition of the occupation of Morocco's uh, takeover of Western Sahara, and that Morocco would, in retaliation, withdraw their recognition of, uh, of Israel, and therefore the, the Republicans and certain hawkish Democrats would start condemning uh, Biden you know, for hurting Israel by uh, uh, taking action, which uh, you know, led to, to uh, uh, Morocco uh, you know, pulling out of, of, of the Abraham Accords. So that might that be a factor uh, yeah. that has uh, made the, um, uh, the the Biden administration nervous. And one reason why they have had this kind of ambivalent kind of thing, where again they they haven't um, explicitly reiterated Trump's recognition, but they absolutely nothing to uh, reverse it. Uh, yeah, it, it's the same old story in a lot of places. It's frustrating, but you know, world opinion does matter. Is is pressure mounting on Morocco? Do you think? Tell us about that, if there is. Yes. Well, I mean, it, it's uh, we've got a long way to go, but you know, right. if we had a, a conversation like this um, back in the uh, you know, say the, the mid nineteen nineties about um, uh, Indonesia and East Timor, it would seem like kind of a hopeless cause. You know, a, a powerful neighbor gobbles up a late. Uh, a small country that's in late decolonization. Uh, the United States and other Western countries blocked the United Nations from enforcing its resolution, supporting the occupation and the and, and, and the repression. I mean, by all measures, realpolitik, you know, uh, it was a hopeless cause. I mean, the uh, uh, Indonesians were colonizing the, 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 the territory. The armed struggle was, was just a, a few hundred men uh, with World War II's energy the jungle and the nonviolent resistance movement, the cities being brutally crushed. You know what? What, what hope, hope, hope was there? And what was was that global civil society mobilized? And you had the churches, you had human rights groups uh, uh, in the United States, in Britain, and Canada, and uh, in, in Australia, effectively shaming their governments for supporting Indonesia. It's clear violation of the international legal norms, horrific uh, human rights abuses. 
and it got to be politically impossible uh-huh. for these governments continue uh, supporting the occupation. And so when the Indonesian economy tanked during the big uh, East Asian uh, financial crisis uh, in, in, uh, in 1998, uh, the Western countries could say to the Indonesians, hey, we'd like to help you out here. You know, this East Timor thing makes it uh, impossible. And there's a lot more at stake right now than this, this half island. So, uh, you know, you, you, should, you need to go ahead and, and, give, and allow a referendum on their future. And of course, the uh, East Timorese have voted, you know, 90 plus percent for uh, uh, independence, and then East Timor is now free. Ah. And so this is this may be the best hope, uh, really the only hope, uh, for uh, Western Sahara to be free. That global civil society mobilizes, as as it did against the uh, Indonesian occupation of East Timor, the South African occupation of, of Namibia, or you know, apartheid itself uh, mm-hmm. in in South Africa. Uh, and that's why I really appreciate uh, you giving time to talk about Western Sahara, because again, I, I, doubt, there, I doubt many of your viewers even knew about it before uh, for hearing this, and hope they'll, they'll be inspired to, 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 to uh, start organizing around this and, and, and uh, letting their uh, members of the House and Senate that know that it's wrong that we should be supporting this uh, occupation. It's wrong for the U.S. to recognize this illegal uh, takeover, and it's imperative, not just the rights of the people of Western Sahara, right. uh, but for the uh, in, in the international legal order, uh, you know, for the U.S. to to, um, to reverse it and, and, and support genuine self-determination. And I do think it's in America's long-term best interest to, to change that. I mean, you would think colonization, you know, would have gone out with the uh, Spanish-American War in 1898. But no, it continues. A lot of it has to do with money, that's for sure. And you, in your op-ed titled Biden's Dangerous Refusal to Reverse Trump's Western Sahara Policy, you say the stakes are not simply about the future of one small country, but the question is to which principle will is which principle will prevail in the 21st century, the right of self-determination or the right of conquest? What can people do? What can listeners do? Uh, do you, I didn't know about this, quite frankly, until I, until I started researching it. What can you suggest for uh, listeners if they're interested in this? Well, certainly, one thing they could buy my book. <laughs> it is generally considered the definitive book in English on the subject of Western Sahara War, Nationalism, and Conflict Resolution. Um, but you can uh, you, you know also check out my website uh, uh, stephenzunes.org s t e p h e n z u n e s and uh, under articles you can toggle down and there's one on western uh, there's whole series in western Sahara for shorter pieces if you don't want to buy buy the book and read a whole book but you know but you can also you know get and get you know uh, um, learn uh, contact the um, uh, U.S. Uh, committee to end the Moroccan occupation of Western Sahara. And uh, to to again, let, let uh, your your um, uh, Congress members of the House uh, know that uh, you're you're concerned about it, and that uh, the U.S. needs to reverse its um, uh, reverse its position. If you're part of a multi-issue, uh, you know, peace or human rights group, consider taking this on as uh-huh. one, of, one of your your causes. If you're involved in the Palestinian struggle, including Western Sahara, as part of your your anti-occupation activism, uh, make make it an issue. Because until and what was it? What, what, the reason we went to East Timor not that it was a huge movement per se, but it was that the U.S. policy of supporting this thing was so wrong by almost any kind of measure, it was almost impossible 
you know, to, to defend. Uh-huh, once and people knew. the only yeah. way to able to uh, get away with supporting the Indonesian occupation all those years, the only way we're getting away with supporting the Iraqi occupation is people don't know about it. Exactly. Because <laughs> once people do, they're going to be horrified enough to say, whoa, this is wrong, you can't do that. And I'll tell you, members of Congress, if they get one letter, they assume there's a hundred other people who agree with that, but who just haven't written in. So, yes, letters to your member of Congress. They'll be, they probably haven't heard darn thing about this. So if you write to your member of Congress, it, it, it may not change their mind right away, but it, it has some effect, for sure. Well, Stephen Zunas, thanks so much for being with us. The book is titled Western Sahara, War, Nationalism, and Con- Conflict Irresolution. Thank you so much. And uh, hopefully, uh, I think shedding some light on this and why it matters uh, maybe it can help. Thank you so much. Thank you.